Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Webcast Series held on January 17, 2018, focusing on the new territorial tax system and anti-deferral rules. The panelists for the webcast were Ken Kuykendall, PwC's Tax Services Leader, Mike DeFranzo, a PwC tax partner focusing on international tax issues, Mimi Dewar, a PwC tax partner also focusing on international tax issues, and Peter Merrill, a PwC tax partner and leader of our National Economics and Statistics team. This podcast excerpt consists of a discussion among the panelists on the basics of how the territorial system is designed to work. Mike, I'm going to come to you first and ask you to lead us through just the basics around how the territorial system is designed to work, and then we'll get into some of these more complex and novel provisions. Absolutely. Thanks, Ken. So uh, in a a recent webcast, uh, a team took you through the the 965 retold charge. And what that did is it taxed all the earnings prior to uh, the end of 2017. And then the question comes up, what do you do with your future earnings? And your future earnings are governed by a new provision in 245A. And that provision is our territorial system. And what it does, in effect, is it allows for 100% territorial provided you meet certain circumstances um, or criteria in bringing the income home. Um, There are some really important ones that I'm going to point out up front. You have to be a C corporation uh, to be able to receive the territorial benefit. Unfortunately, it doesn't apply to individuals or pass-through entities. So that's a, a a big thing to note. The other thing to note, I think, up front is it doesn't apply to branch income. It only applies to income coming up from a CFC. Now, we'll get in a little more detail with it, um, but uh, you know those are the big things to, to sort of note. And as we, I think we move to the next slide, um, I think we can talk a little bit about some of the definitions that we have here. So how does it apply? It applies to <clears throat> um, what's referred to as eligible foreign subsidiaries. And an eligible foreign subsidiary is a foreign corporation, again, not a branch or, or pass-through, but a foreign corporation in which the U.S. Uh, domestic corporate shareholder has a 10% stake. So you can turn right back to your U.S. shareholder. If a U.S. shareholder is a U.S. corporation uh, in a CFC or not a CFC, it doesn't have to be a CFC, so it could be a 1050 company, then you can get this benefit. One important thing to note is it does not apply to passive foreign investment companies. So when you look at what you, you might have an investment, of course, CFC overrides the PFIC rules, but if you have less than a uh, 50% U.S. shareholder controlled uh, entity, then you may have to go through the PFIC calculations and make sure you don't have a PFIC to make sure that you get the benefit of this provision. Uh, what does it apply to? It applies to uh, what's referred to as foreign uh, eligible foreign source earnings. Um, I think it's pretty logical here that it's applying to foreign earnings and not to U.S. earnings, and that means it does not apply to effectively connected income of the foreign corporation, which is U.S. effectively connected income. And it also doesn't apply to income that results from dividends coming from an 80% or greater owned U.S. corporation. While 245A doesn't apply to those earnings, I would note that there are other provisions that allow you to bring up those earnings and get a DRD. They're just our old rules. And there's a PLR, I I honestly don't have the number (laughs) memorized, but I think it's circa 2008 when I was in government, where 
I think did a really good job of sort of working through when you have that type of income, what do you do? Um, so there is a DRD available, it's just not in 245A for that income. Then moving to the, the second or the, the final point here on this slide is <clears throat> what if you have a mix of income? And then how do you determine the ratio coming up? And that ratio is really looking at your post-86 uh, pool of undistributed earnings and then just really figuring out how much of it is foreign source. So it's pretty straightforward. And then that proportion is really going to be uh, the amount that's eligible for 245A. Okay, some important things. You get the income back, you get it back free. Um, and that's a, that's a big thing, but what happens if you sell a, a CFC? Uh, if you sell a CFC, we have a provision in 1248 that causes the gain to be recharacterized re as a dividend. And you know the immediate question is, okay, to the extent there's a recharacterization of that income, does 245A apply to that recharacterization? The answer is yes. Um, same with 964E, which deals with lower tier entities. So again, really getting at the dividend equivalent transactions and making sure that those are picked up. Um, we have, of course, <clears throat> this other interesting provision that, that's something that I think a number of our clients are gonna have to work around uh, is the DRD exclusion for hybrid payments. Okay, where do you get hybrid payments? You get hybrid payments because you've structured uh, your, your capital in investments in ways that result in a, what's deemed to be a hybrid payment coming up. A hybrid payment is defined as a payment that's going to be a deduction in the CFC. And we'll get to an example here at the end uh, where we can look a little more closely at that. But that is something that is not subject to the dividend uh, received deduction under 245A. Okay, if you're not picking up the income, of course you're not getting the foreign taxes with it. Uh, we know as part of reform, uh, 902 is no longer part of the code, and we're not, there, there is another uh, foreign tax credit provision that's sort of taken its place to, to track some foreign tax credits, but uh, 902 is not there, so you're not going to get your deemed paid credits coming through anymore. Yeah, and, and I guess that also includes withholding tax, right? Absolutely, Nini. So to the extent you've got withholding taxes, it's not going to, to pick that up either. And to get the DRD, you're actually going to be paying dividends, or you're going to have a transaction that results in a dividend. So just result. to pause on that point, because I think it'll be relevant for people as they're dealing with financial accounting determinations and things like that. Um, even though there's no U.S. tax on a foreign dividend coming into the U.S. because of the DRD, you could end up with a withholding tax that's not creditable. Um, so looking at a not credible withholding tax, that's another cost that would otherwise need to be booked related to those earnings as part of the outside basis difference that exists unless people are indefinitely reinvested. So part of what companies I know are going through right now is notwithstanding the fact that they're paying a toll charge, as we've talked about before, and that on a go-forward basis, they're going to be able to access these earnings year over year, they still may be indefinitely reinvested for accounting purposes just simply because the withholding tax is such that it may be so significant that they don't want to bear that withholding tax on a regular basis. So that, that's just an interesting dynamic that keeps APB 23 very relevant from an account, accounting perspective, even though we no longer operating in a worldwide taxation system. So that's an important point. 
Absolutely right. And another consideration is foreign currency. Yeah. So as you're moving actual dividends up and you have the conversion in the U.S. dollars, you still have those rules uh, to deal with and you still could have gain uh, recognized in, in, in that as well. And so there's really a lot to think about. I just want to round out a little bit a couple of things on the, on the rules here. One, there is a one-year holding period. Um, not a huge surprise maybe that there's that gating a rule in there, but it, it really means you've got to buy and hold the foreign corporation for one year. And then the other thing to, to, to just uh, round out is that uh, the effective date is 1231.17. Now, I would note that there's a whole lot of PTI that a lot of clients probably have as a result of 965. So while this is immediately effective, uh, it may not be immediately relevant uh, for, for a lot of our, our clients. Okay, if we could move just quickly to the example and um, I'm not going to spend a, a lot of time going on this, but I just wanted to just highlight a situation where there is a hybrid, but how the hybrid rule might or might not work. So we have a hybrid payment coming from uh, foreign code two to one, and we could have some subpart F consequences on that that would sort of wash out with with PTI or not. But what I wanted to really point out is in this structure, there's not a deduction in Forco One's payment to USP. And just because you have a hybrid arrangement within your capital structure does not mean pushing down the chain that that taints all the income coming up. Because in this example, we actually have a dividend that's coming up that is not actually a hybrid uh, payment and would be entitled to the DRD. And I think that hits, hits all we need on that. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode.